Hello and welcome back to the Go For Two podcast. I'm Liam, your host, and unfortunately Patrick's not with us today. He's having a day off, but we have got a very special guest. We've got Lee Wakefield, all the way from the Full 10 Yards College <coughs> podcast. Uh, Lee, how are you doing, mate? Hello, Liam. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm excited. We're only we're recording on Sunday, so we're, what, four days away, is it now? Five days away from the draft? So it's, exactly. it's took a while to come, but I think the last two weeks has gone a bit crazy, hasn't it? Yeah, it's ramped up, hasn't it? I think it's been a bit of a crazy off-season as, like, as total, hasn't it, really? Because we were saying just before we kind of got on together, we were just saying, you know, how we're waiting for a big trade to drop. And I think everyone's kind of mock drafts that we're finally writing is, uh, is hanging in the balance, really, especially with Debo Samuel um, doing whatever he's doing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm going to do my final one on Tuesday, and I know for a fact that Wednesday morning there's going to be some sort of <laughs> trade that just puts that into disarray, but we'll see. Um, cool. So, plan for today, we're going to talk to Lee about some some draft stuff. Me and Patrick have done kind of the top, uh, I guess, top 20 players, top, top 30 maybe on offence and defence, um, mm. to try and get Lee's view on it and, and see what he thinks. Um, but before we move on to that, I just wanted to talk about your project, mate. So, you're part of the Full 10 Yards College group, mm-hmm. uh, and you've done a draft guide, so I kind of want to know... What was the process like that and what positions did you yourself have to kind of focus on for that? Yeah, so, so it's the second year we've, we've got together and we've kind of done this as full 10 yards. Um, so it's kind of nicely kicking off as like a yearly project and we hope we can kind of keep it going. But um, yeah, it's kind of like a yearly process as, as someone that's kind of done this sort of thing without releasing draft guide for quite a few years. It's kind of nice to have some help because you don't have to do all the positions as you kind of allude to, which is great. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so like year round process, like, you know, maybe have May off, start again in June, just start watching as much kind of volume tape for some sc- summer, sa- summer scouting. Uh, can just kind of get a you know, feel for the draft class that's coming up, although, you know, it's quite a few months away, you know, <laughs> we do like way too early mock drafts and things like that. And you look back at it this time of the year and you think, God, what was I thinking with some of these players? <laughs> um, but no, it obviously then, you know, I do try my very, very best to try and enjoy the season as much as I can as a fan. Yeah. Um, you know, not do too much in terms of like digging into people and, and you know, you kind of then start in your full scouting process, I would say about November, October, something like that. And then, you know, it's it's just it's just hell for leather, really, you know, especially if you're watching, you know, I know that some people, you know, they're watching everyone. I mean, I wasn't in that position for the draft guide, but obviously, you know, you dig into as many people as possible. But fortunately, you know, just a couple of position groups that you dig in, you know, you know, down to the absolute nth degree for the draft guide. But um yeah, so digging in, you know, throughout the season, like I say, throughout um, the, the winter, and for the draft guide, um, you know, it's just kind of again right up to the last minute because you've got things like the combine, the pro days, and things like that, and getting everything like edited and, and marked up, and, and just as good as it can be because as we've discovered over the past couple of years, these things will never be perfect, unfortunately, <laughs> and there are a few annoying little areas that you that you kind of see, but you know, it's a fantastic project. So I don't want to kind of put a damper on it straight away, but it's a fantastic project, it's a really good effort by all the lads, really knowledgeable and passionate guys that we've got on staff. And um, yeah, just getting back to kind of what I've done for it, I covered the edge group and I also covered a handful of the linebackers as well. So on the defensive side of the ball only for me, which is uh, which is my favourite half of the ball. So yeah, very happy with that. And like I say, very happy with how it came out as well. Yeah, and it's quite a deep edge class as well compared mm. to some of the other position groups. So you probably had to look at some people more in depth. Do you know what I mean? As if you're looking at... I don't know, corner 12 in this class, you might be thinking, oh, that could be a sixth round, like fifth round pick. Whereas edge 12 in this class, you could still be talking day two. So I think it's quite a deep class, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I don't have my list in front of me, if I'm honest. But I, yeah, I think my edge 12 is about a third round pick. So yeah, that's yeah, good. It's, a deep, it's a deep, deep class. And I did the edge group for the last year's draft guide as well. And that, as people remember, wasn't a hugely deep class as well. So it was a bit more fun this year. I think I only gave out one first round grade. 
um, for the Edge class last year, and I've got you know I've got a handful this year, which is good. Nice. Uh, yeah, and anyone who wants to get it, it's on um, full10yards.com as well. You can go over there and get it. I think it's only a fiver, is that right? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, like I just say, go over to full10yards.com. Um, at the top, there is a link for guides, and you just click into there, and it takes straight to the, uh, you know, through to the shop. And, yeah, like you say, it's a fiver um, for a digital download, and the part of the proceeds from the guide will go back into the grassroots British game as well. So we are giving back, and it's, it's not all just coming to us for profit. But, um, yeah, we like to give back at the Full 10 Yards, and that's kind of our mission. Nice, yeah, and uh, as a, a fan of the Chiefs looking for a wide receiver, I've been studying the wide receiver pages quite a lot, so yeah, it's very good. It looks good as well, so shout out to, to Josh Henwood, who's been on this podcast before, because he helped design, design it, and it looks really, really good. Mm. Um, cool, let's move on to the class in general then. So uh, there's kind of a little bit of criticism from the whole class. I think that's always the case when the QBs aren't as good as maybe previous years, but um, in terms of the top five players in this class last year i think we were spoiled we had about 10 that were very very elite prospects but i don't think we have that this year um how, where do you see the kind of tear dropping off for like the best prospects in this class and who would your top five be from from this group yeah like you say i think i think you've hit the nail on the head there with the first thing that you said i always feel like the, the draft class as a whole especially for without wanting to bash anyone like the more casual kind of johnny come lately on the draft scene I think they do judge it by the, the quarterback class. And if it's not a great quarterback class, then they kind of damn the whole thing. I don't think that's fair, really, to be honest. I would say that this draft class isn't as strong as it was in the past couple of years. But yeah. like you say, I do think there is a good amount of, of talent available, especially at the top. So just to kind of move on to the top five players in, on my personal board, I have Kayvon Thibodeau as my number one player. Uh, and just a hair behind him, I have Aiden Hutchinson. Um, Kyle Hamilton, who will be a really popular pick in the top five for for many, many people. Um, and then, you know, and this is where we kind of qualify um, the positional value and things like that. Obviously, Tyler Linderbaum is not going to be picked in the top five, but he's one of the <laughs> yeah. best players in this draft class for sure. And yeah. um, I, I mean, I know that, again, to round out my top five, I know that this is maybe a bit of a projection off some old film, but Derek Stingley Jr. is still an immense, immense talent. So he would he would round out my top five for me personally on my top board. Yeah, I love Stingley. I've heard Connor Rogers as well, people like that, they have uh, Linderbaum as high as two. But mm. like, you, like you said, I wouldn't even be shocked if he was a second round pick now with how the mocks go. Yeah, think... it's really gone like that, hasn't it? The kind of discourse around him with the you know positional value, the scheme fit and like the short arm thing. And you know, you can throw one of any of those combination of things at him and sometimes all three and yeah, like you say, he kind of begins to tumble down the draft boards and like Cincinnati seems to be a really popular pick now, which is unbelievable at 31. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Not the only team that you can go to, but I the think balls, yeah. I think that's a sh- I think I'd be shocked if he went to anyone else almost in the first round because not enough teams play zone blocking schemes. And the mm. ones that do have already got centers. Do you know what I mean? Like the Eagles, for example. Uh, they they've almost got Linderbaum 2.0 in terms of Kelsey with the short arms and being good as a run blocker in space. But uh, I just don't know who else is gonna need someone like that. Obviously, my yeah. team we run block that way, but we've just drafted a centre. And I think more and more centres have gone in the last three or four years. That means it's going to be hard for him to go. But yeah, I would say he's a top player. Um, I actually think now the zone blocking scheme is more of an issue than the arm length. I hear more people talking about the scheme fit than I do about his actual arm length now. Yeah, I think, you know, with with the measurables, and you could say it's about all measurables, not just arm length, but there's so many exceptions against the rule. You know, as soon as like someone gets something thrown at them, it's well, what about this guy? You know, and you know, I don't think that one exception does prove or prove anything either way. But you know, there are a lot of good players who are kind of outside the norms or outside of the you know original scope. What you would have said, what teams kind of look for. I mean, look at Rashawn Slater last year. He's yeah. light and he also has shorter arms than ideal. You know, and when we're 
really digging into it if we're looking at like you know it being half an inch I mean that's like literally a couple of centimeters if that so what are we doing here do you know what I mean how much difference does that couple of centimeters make if their technique and strength and things like that other areas of the game are elite so I think it's made a lot look like a lot of for for not a lot of comeback really yeah, the famous comment of um, Sean Gre- uh, Slater can only play guard in the NFL and then he's in the yeah. left, left, left tackle, like, I don't know, probably three months after that comment was said. So Yeah, yeah. and aren't we, aren't we glad of it on this side of the microphone? <laughs> yeah, I'm not so glad on this side. Yeah. Now. I don't know who plays left tackle for the Chargers. Frank Clark probably wouldn't be able to get any pressure anyway, so it wouldn't make any difference. Um, in terms of the other players, then we won't touch on Hutchison because we spoke about him so much mm. on, on our pod, but um, the two I'm mo- most interested in is, uh, obviously your number one then, came on Thibodeau yeah uh, how much do you think this is overrated then or kind of overhyped this talk of uh, his comments and how much is in the football because I, I understand both sides of the argument because the comment I think he said his actual words were that no coach in the NFL could teach him anything and then he kind of walked back those comments immediately he had the whole Alabama comment like smart yeah. people don't go to Alabama so I understand <laughs> why football guys in America are frustrated at him but do you think it's become overblown now? Because I've seen some mocks where he goes like as high or as low, I guess, as number nine to Seattle. Yeah, I, I do. I really do think it's overblown. I mean, you know, I do think that some of these things like, you know, everyone says things that they don't really mean, especially when they're maybe trying to put on a bit of a bravado, a bit of a front yeah. and things like that. And I'm not saying that's what happened, but, you know, we've already, we've always, and everyone I think will be in this category, got the possibility of kind of saying something and thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't have phrased it like that. Or, you know, and if you've got a microphone in your face and it's not like saying it between friends, you know what I mean? I say, oh, actually, I didn't mean it like this. I meant it like this. I'm getting a chance to explain yourself. So, yeah, it's difficult, especially when, you know, he's going to be super hyped. He's in the draft process. He's, you know, a few days away now from, like, his dreams coming true and things like that. So it's difficult. And I think uh, the other side of things as well, which has really made it overblown, is I really question whether some people who are kind of bashing him whether they kind of understand the kind of generation that he's coming from because I know one of the criticisms of him is like about him wanting to build up his brand and be kind of more than just a footballer sort of thing which is completely fine you know we've got a lot of athletes who are like that I mean I know that it's kind of said that you should maybe prove it on the field before you kind of go ahead and do all that stuff but I just think that people and like players of this age now they're completely different mindset they know um, and they've grown up with the internet as like second nature to them and they know things like image and brand management and things like that are super, super important in this day and age, especially if you're going to be a, a public figure. And, you know, he's going to cultivate that as best as he can to, to you know, make as much money or to put back into projects that he wants to as much as he can. And that matters, as, you know, almost as much as football in some senses. So I don't think that it's a big problem. You know, if he comes into the NFL and he doesn't work hard and he doesn't do it on the field, then maybe these people can say, maybe I was right, you know, throw it back into yeah. people like my faces. But at the end of the day, I think that the tape that he's shown at Oregon is fantastic. I think he's shown all the traits that you would want in a number one edge rusher. And, you know, he's he's not exactly, again, like a guy who's just burst onto the scene like some guys have in this class and some edge rushers as well. You know, he's been a high school recruit that was highly touted and he's had an excellent college career and now he's coming into the NFL and I think that, just to kind of make one final point, I think that is definitely a part of it as well, that some media members are just bored, bored of talking about him. They've yeah. been talking about it since high school, and it doesn't make great content or good shows and good segments to have the same name brought up every single time, especially if it's not a quarterback and it's a defensive player. Yeah, he was like number one in the 22 mock drafts in like 2020, you know, in the two-year... Yeah. Two year and one year like projection picks come mm. out. He's been number one for a long, long time. Uh, 
I, I agree with you. I think part of it's boredom and part of it is size of the school as well. Do you know what I mean? I just think these schools that do play late into the season, obviously Georgia winning a national title, having yeah. about 10 players on the defensive end that are going to get drafted. I just think, I think they have a bit more hype just because of that. So yeah, I do agree. And, I think... and the other side of it, sorry, just to kind of make one final, final point on this from my side. I think it's kind of like the East versus the West as well in the, in the States. Like, yeah. He's criticising the school in the South, in the school in college football, you know, by saying only smart people uh, don't go to Alabama and things like that. And he's a West Coast guy. He's going to West Coast school. And, you know, that's seen as like punching up almost, which people don't tend to like too much. And, you know, people from the East Coast don't watch West Coast games as much either. So, you know, maybe it's that sort of thing as well that's playing into it. Yeah, I agree. And I think he had very uh, good offers as well from other schools that are high in terms of yeah. like, the academic ranks that maybe aren't very good at football. So I think he's he's just always been a very smart intellectual guy that does care about that side of things. But mm. yeah, no, I'm with you. I've got him above Hutchinson in my ranks. He's not number one, but he's above Hutchinson for me. I think he's edge rusher one. Uh, I find it funny that a lot of people talk about Trayvon Walker's um, athletic profile. And to be honest, Hutchinson's including this as well. If you include size... Uh, and look at the the overall measurables for all three guys. They're a lot closer than what people think. Like I think mm. people think Trayvon Walker's like this elite athlete, which he is. But the other two are also elite athletes. So I just think that kind of gets lost as well, just because maybe one guy tested slightly better on one day. Yeah, that's it, and that, that's exactly that's the, the final point that you made there. Right, being on one day is exactly it. You know, you get guys who turn up at the combine and maybe they're not feeling well but it doesn't get reported because they don't want to come out and say that maybe they've got a little nagging injury you know it is one day then then it's all out there for people to see and yeah. you know they're all great athletes and you can see it on film and at the end of the day as much as I like it and as much as I like watching it and digging into it and things like that and it's a part of my evaluation the combine is massively overblown <laughs> because at the end of the day if they look slow on the field then that's what matters more than shorts and t-shirts and by the same measure if they look quick in shorts and t-shirts, then you shouldn't double grade them. And they should um, only really be graded on their combine profile if it surprises you either way. Yeah, I would agree. It's almost like when you've got two fast receivers and then you know they're both fast and then one of them's a 4-2 and the other guy's a 4-3-8 or something. Then you could be like, oh, okay. <laughs> he, he's actually incredibly fast at 4-2-6 or something. Whereas I think when you're looking at someone's tape and they've got like a 4-4-4, but they look really quick on the field. I don't know, maybe like a Traylon Burks, for example. He looks quite quick mm. coming out of routes, but then his combine wasn't ideal. I think people do kind of hold that against them. But I am a bit of a fiend for a combine 40-time <laughs> retweet on Twitter, so maybe I'm part of the problem with that. Um, <laughs> let's, move, let's move over to uh, Stingley then. Um, incredible freshman year, obviously two mm. injuries. I think one was an ankle injury, wasn't it? And one was the uh, dreaded Liz Franks. Yeah. Um, is that kind of the main worry? Or do you see the other side of the argument where a lot of people are talking about um, just his lack of effort maybe at a school that we're going through quite a lot of uh, issues so we found out after... Uh, after Burrow left, it did seem like the coaching staff went a bit crazy after he left. But um, what do you put it down to, that his fall? Is it more injury-based or is it more kind of attitude stories that we've heard coming out of uh, the media? See, I think, again, I think the media is kind of blowing the attitude stuff out of portion again. I do think it's very, very injury-based. And I think it's, again, what's kind of like the opposite of recency bias because obviously his, his tape that he had that kind of wowed us all is obviously two years old and then he's not really done too much since. Um, Attitude-wise, I mean, obviously, we're not privy to the day-to-day -day kind of conversations and whatnot, but, you know, Derek Stingley wanted to play offence, defence and special teams. So that, to me, sounds like a player who wants to kind of prove himself even more. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that he kind of got that injury and then was kind of shut down. I don't know, is that a coaching decision? I don't know if you can blame too much on him. Was he going to play wide receiver? Was that the plan? 
Sorry, Liam, you'll just have to edit this out. I just need to cough loads. I'm just getting a really dry throat. One more second. <laughs> cool. Sorry, you go ahead. What was that last question? Uh, yeah, I was just wondering, was he going to play wide receiver then on offense? Was that the plan? Yeah, he wanted to play, he wanted to play wide receiver. He wanted to play all three phases and he wanted to return kicks as well. Um, so, yeah, he wanted to kind of do it all. And that's kind of maybe a reaction to the um, you know, previous season where he was out the whole season with the injury and then wanted to come back with a with a major boom and then obviously got the injury. And like I say, it was kind of shut down um, early. So, like I say, I, like I said, we're not really privy to all the conversations and what, what, who said what and whatnot, but that to me speaks to a player that kind of wants to put it all out there for his final year because he was obviously never going to play his senior year because um, he's far too talented and just, you know, to potentially come out and get, risk, you know, risk of injury again then would destroy his whole career. But, you know, it's, we've heard people say it that if he was, um, if his career was flipped the other way around and the amazing season was just the one that was yeah. just passed, then we'd be talking about a, a top 10 player all day long. So, you know, he's still young enough to overcome these injuries. And as like you say, I mean, the Liz Frank injury is a scary one. But, you know, we've seen people come back from them in the past. Medical, you know, science is only going to advance in his career and things like that. And he's still he's still a great player. So I'd be um, I'd be more than happy for him to drop to 17, to put it that way. <laughs> yeah, his pro day was still really good as well. Um, exactly, yeah. He also, he also looked like he'd not practiced any of the drills, his pro day, when he did them. And yeah, there got... was particularly the broad jump, wasn't there? It was just yeah. a really strange technique that he's definitely not, like, trained with anyone and no one's holding him to jump like that. But he still jumped pretty well. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. He's a very, very good athlete. Mm. Uh, I, I actually think the tape is or the opinions of the tape after his freshman year is actually overblown i watch that and still think that's a like an, a really good corner yes it's not as good as his freshman tape but uh people aren't throwing the ball at him anywhere near as much as they were before and it's kind of only in zone coverage that he gets the ball thrown at him so i do think that was a little bit overblown uh and i do think there's a lot of smaller corners in this class that are very very good and he's a bit different where he can play man press zone everything so mm. yeah i'm a big fan i think there's rumours now he could go top five again. It would be quite funny if it all came full circle. I know Matt yeah. Miller Matt Miller and uh, Mel Kuyper both said that he could go top five. But um, we'll see. I'm a big fan. I don't think he should fall out of the top ten. I don't expect him to. But if he does, I'm no. sure someone like the Vikings will be all over him with the scheme that they play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, the, just, you know, to kind of round off Stingley, I think the things that he's got, like, at a high level are the things that everyone wants. You know, the, the length, the physicality, the ability to play press, the ability to kind of stick in, stick in someone's hip pocket to turn the ball over. Those are things that are all the really valuable things for corner in the NFL today. So you bank on that sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, last pair on that top five, then, that we'll just touch on. Carl um, Hamilton. Uh, not a very good pro day score for him either, but obviously on the no. field. Does not look as slow as he did uh, timing-wise. Uh, I've seen a lot of comments now that people think he's going to struggle to play single high safety. He's going to be more of a two high or a box look. Mm. Uh, what are your opinions on him? Do you think he can kind of do it all and people are, are just not looking at the field, the tape and just thinking about that 40 time a bit too much? Maybe, yeah. I mean, because we've seen some insane plays where he's like really put his range on tape and the Florida, Florida State play, you know, gets retweeted pretty, pretty much every day yeah. um, where he's kind of covered you know, half the field to make, make a play. So yeah, I mean, he's put it on tape and I think again, we're kind of digging too much into this, um, you know, this combine result that he's got. So I think that he can, he can do everything. Um, and I think he can do everything at a quite high level as well. I think he can be that movable chess piece. I know it's really cliche, but that's what the NFL kind of is now, isn't it? It's about being as flexible on defense as possible. And I think Carl Hamilton can be that sort of guy, you know, in the kind of doing James kind of mold. 
Um, I'm not saying he is Derwin, but he can be that sort of weapon for a defence. And do you know what? I think the thing about him playing single high is, again, kind of overblown because, again, how popular is, you know, two deep shells becoming. So if everyone's kind of going that way, then he's going to be fine anyway, isn't he? Yeah, and he can almost play in some in some looks. He's going to play like a linebacker, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah. And set in yeah. some looks, but yeah, uh, I'm sure as a Chargers fan and the Chiefs fan here, we can uh, say too high. <laughs> Unfortunately, too high is uh, is very much a big thing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Let's move on to uh, kind of positional groups then. Uh, mm. I think most people think the QB class is the weakest, so we'll talk about weakest in a sec. But um, which kind of two or three groups do you rank as the strongest from what you've watched? Um, just on my personal view, I'm really high on the safety class in general. Mm. I think the safety class is really, really good. Uh, I think the wide receiver class is deep. I'm not saying there's any wide receiver one types that are like Jamar Chase level, but I think you're going to get loads of wide receiver twos from this draft. Uh, and then I do think tackle is relatively good as well. But what are your views on like the strongest positional groups? I think the, just to kind of extend on the last one that you said, I think the whole of the offensive line group is really, really deep. I think yeah. um, you know you've got some really high end tackles. I think you've got some really high end interior players at the car, the guard, and the centre position as well. And I think it's got depth throughout. And I mean. I'm not a huge fan of everyone. I'm not a huge fan of Trevor Penning, for example. But you know, I do think that, future, future you know, charger player. Hopefully, hopefully not, my friend. Hopefully not. <laughs> I would. I'm panicking about that possibility in it on Thursday night. Um, but yeah, I think there's some high level tackles. I think Nevin Neal's very, very good. Charles Cross, who we're all really high on in our in our team. Um, you know, Iquanu. I think you know whether some people think he's a guard, some people think he's a tackle. I think he'll be great at either. Um, especially if you can go into you know, a heavy run scheme and where people are going to accentuate his talents in, in terms of the run game and allow him to develop that pass blocking as time goes on. I think you've got three top-end players there. And I think you know after that, there is obviously a little bit of a drop-off, whether you include Penning or not in that top bracket. But I do think there's some late-round tackles that could be quite serviceable in the NFL. And the same goes for the guards as well. You know, you've got Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, I think, the top guards. Obviously, we've already mentioned Linderbaum as well in the interior. But again, you've got a plethora of people throughout the kind of later rounds, mid rounds, who will be starting centres and guards for many years to come. And just as a side note, I think that the fact that you've got such a good centre class is maybe going to harm Linda Baum's um, stock as well, because you think, well, why are we going to draft this guy at 31 or in the 20s or, you know, you know, maybe even before that, when we can maybe pick up a Cam Jorgens or Parham or something like that from... Uh, Nick Ford, um, Tom, Zach Tom from Wake Forest. You know, some of these guys in like the third, fourth round, when you, you'll have a starting centre. He won't be as good as, as uh, Tyler Lindemann, of course, but he's going to have a starting centre, which is something that you need for your football team. If you don't have to spend huge capital on it, then brilliant. You know, you've kind of won, haven't you? Yeah, so, I think his problem... I'm sorry. Yeah, I think his problem is as well. He can't play guard. I don't think Ty mm, Linderbaum. No. Uh, whereas I think some of the others, like you just mentioned there, Zach Tom, I've seen him even come in at right tackle for certain yeah. snaps for Wake Forest. No, so, yeah, I just think the lack of versatility for him might hurt. But yeah, I agree the centre class is pretty good. Uh, I also like the tackles um, in the late rounds as well. Like, I think Matt, someone like Max Mitchell or maybe, I don't know, maybe Matt Waletsko who's coming out of North Dakota. They could actually both start, maybe not in year one, but they could be right tackles. I'm not sure there's loads of left tackles in this draft, but I think if you need a right tackle, you don't have to panic and go like maybe first or second round if you're desperate. Do you know what I mean? I think you can easily wait to round three and you'll get someone that maybe can't start in year one, but I think they could probably start in year two, which is pretty impressive for a draft class that everyone's saying is uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, I'm big on Max Mitchell, actually, one, one that you've kind of picked out there. I'm, I'm quite high on him. Um, as a you know third fourth round guy, and I know that some, might be a bit rich for some people, but I do think he, like you say, is a future starting left tackle, which is 
which is exactly what you can get. You know, if you can get that in the third round, fourth round, then you take it every day. You know, if you like a player, you like a player, whether you get him a little bit early or not. If he's a good player for you, then it's a win. You know, regardless, people don't really look at people's uh, draft status and say, oh, well, yeah, he's good, but you know, we got him in the third round. It's not a conversation that ever happens. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think it's, I think you're right. I think there's some good um, starting talent out there. Like you say, not top-end blue-chip talent, but there's some starters out there. What other positional groups, aside from the offensive line, do you think are quite um, good or deep or elite, I guess, in this this, this year then? Um, I, I know it's not fashionable to say it. And I mean, I'll, I'll, in fact, sort of come back to agree with you before I go into that. I, I do agree with your wide receiver point. I think there's there's not a lot of wide receiver ones out there, but the, the class as a whole has got a, quite a diverse range of, of different types of receiver and players who will have successful careers. But I'll, I'll stick with another skill position and, and say running back. I think there's a lot of interesting running backs as, as well. There's not many, maybe one or two that are real like elite ones. You know, they never get picked in the first round nowadays. So we're not talking of that level of investment anyway. But I do think there's there's a lot of good running backs out there this year, and I think we'll uh, be kind of looking at our fantasy drafts in a few weeks, in a couple of months' time, and be <laughs> like, oh yeah, some of these guys are pretty good, you know. So yeah, have a look look into the full ten yard draft guide for some running backs, and you'll find some good ones. I think. Yeah, I've got a terrible orphan team that I've picked up that has one good running back. So my okay. plan is... But I've got like three picks in the third round of the Dynasty draft this year from it. So I'm planning on just absolutely caning running back because yeah. I think there's loads of good ones. Okay. I am a bit of a fan of uh, Pierce from Florida, but I know he's not going to be a late guy. He's probably going to be, what, third or fourth RB off the board for most people, you'd think? Yes. We, I mean, we've got him fourth running back in our draft guide. So, yeah, I'd definitely go along with that. Um, my running, number one running back is Brees Hall. I know that some people have Kenneth Walker above him. Pierce, yeah, we've got him fourth. But I would go so far to say he could be the next one behind those two ones that probably everyone's got as their top two in, in you know, either order, I guess. Yeah. But one one guy who I really like um, is Rashad White out of Arizona State. I think he's, a, you know, I think he's the best receiving back in the class. And that's super, super important. And, you know, he can take it to the house. He's got that home run speed. Um, so, you know, that's, again, really valuable, especially if you're looking for an RB2 and not some guy who you're kind of giving the ball to 20 times a game, but a guy's, you know, in relief of a number one back. Again, I think that's really valuable. And picking that guy, that's all that sort of guy up in the mid-rounds, again, is going to make your football team a lot better. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that the top three or four running backs in the class aren't amazing at the backfield either. So I think if you've got someone later on who can do that and their team needs it, like whoever, like, you know, the Bills always have a second running back and catch passes. Washington have always used, I forgot his name now, but they've always used their second running back to catch passes. So yeah, Mm. I do agree. I think that uh, that makes sense. And there was another guy. um, I haven't watched his tape at all, but I was listening to a podcast today. Uh, I need to watch his tape. He's out of somewhere near to and dear to my Kansas City heart as well. Uh, Tyler Baddy is apparently rumoured with the Chiefs, so I need to watch his tape. But uh, apparently, people tell me that he can catch out the backfield as well. But um, I haven't seen that for myself yet. So yeah, no, he's he's again, he's a he's a kind of late round, mid round kind of guy. But like I say, he'll be in with a bunch of these guys. You know, Tyler, Tyler Algier from BYU. Yeah. Um, we got you know Pierre Strong, um, James Cook. You know, Dar- uh, Darren, um, Dalvin's. <laughs> brother um yeah. I, I, yeah I like Jerome Ford as well so you got a you know, diverse range of, of running backs again so yeah no um there's loads in there you know and like I say there'll be guys who you might get picked for your team in a couple of days time and you're like mm, not really heard of this guy but then you know if you're picking for your fantasy team then you're thinking oh well yeah he's quite decent actually and he's won me my championship or whatever yeah, I heard uh, Brett Veach from our um, presser saying that they, they as a team, as a group of people, think that there's backs that will go in rounds six and seven that previously would have gone in rounds four and five that could easily mm. be like 800 yards rushes that they're that good. But 
Um, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I think the fact that the running back position is so badly viewed now that they're just going to slowly keep falling down the board as years, years go on. But um, yeah, we'll see. Next year's running back class is very, very good. So uh, mm. it, it might not happen next year. But uh, any other position, position groups of strength you want to touch on or should we move on to some weaker ones? Um, to be fair, I think between us, I think we've kind of covered them, to be honest. But um, yeah, there's a good, there's a good lot of uh, safeties out there. I definitely agree with that one that you said earlier. And skill positions, you know, are pretty deep across the board as well. Yeah. Um, so weaker classes, I think QB is probably the obvious one. Uh, I don't think I have a round one grade on any of them, um, but I have a low two on uh, Malik and Ridder. Mm-hmm. But aside aside from that, uh, I'm not incredibly high on them. Is there any other groups apart from quarterback that you think maybe are weaker in this class? I mean, the other the other one that kind of stands out, although it's kind of contradictory to what I've just said, is is kind of tight end because there's no kind of guy at the top. You know, there's Trey McBride and a couple of other yeah. guys and things like that, but there's not like a guy who you think you know could go in the first round. I don't think there's any possibility that the tight end will go in the first. So that's um, a departure from the norm where you think at least like one or two is is kind of up there. But this year it, it's. It's, again, it's got some guys. I think he's got like you know a decent amount of talent in there, but there's no kind of like star. Like I don't think Trey McBride will be a star. I think he'll be a solid sort of addition to an offense. He'll have a decent career, but he'll never be like the guy on offense. You know, he's not like Hal Pitts, for example, from last year. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I read yesterday um, consensus mock reports that they don't think a tight end will probably go in the top fifty, which I think probably makes sense. I think late second, early third for the first guy. But uh, I'm part of the Dolchich fan club from UCLA as a uh, as a Travis yeah. Kelsey stan and watching him <laughs> with the ball. Uh, I don't want to compare anyone to him, but uh, I think he's got some tools that he could be good as a receiving tight end. But um, I think that's what you've got here. You've got good blockers, you've got good receivers. For me, there's not many that can do everything, I don't think, in this class. Yeah, I'd go along with that, and yeah, I agree. Dolchich is a is a good good player, and again, he'll have a he'll have a good career as a receiving back uh, receiving tight end. Sorry. Yeah, Jelani Woods is the one I'm waiting to see. Six foot seven, two hundred sixty eight pounds. Yeah, um, again, another combine warrior, right? Yeah, I can't remember what his forty time was, but my god, he was quick. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how high he goes. And uh, pull one out for uh, Jalen Widemeyer from Texas <laughs> A&M, who was tight end one or two in most people's boards maybe a year and a half ago, but unfortunately. I think he literally had the worst RAS score from the combine of any tight end in history, I believe. Yeah, um, that's right. He he really bombed it, didn't I? Just on those two last guys that you mentioned that I want to kind of give shout out to a couple of guys on our staff at Fulton Yard CFB. Um, Andy Moore was on Jelani Woods, I would say, sort of first few weeks of college season, said that this guy will, will be everyone's kind of favourite sleeper and that sort of thing. I think he really got on that really early and the other one, Widemeyer, um, Raj, again, our guy Raj, um, he was out on Widemeyer from minute one of this season. <laughs> so those two guys called those two tight ends nice and early, so I've got to give them credit for that. Yeah, I reckon someone's going to get Jelani Woods uh, and it's going to annoy me. It's going to be a team that I don't want Jelani Woods to go to. It's going to be like the Bucks <laughs> or maybe even you guys in the Chargers. Someone's going to get him and I'm going to be annoyed because I want to support him just because of his crazy size. Like His wingspan is nuts, but... Uh, yeah, we'll see if he's any good at actually catching uh, <laughs> in the in the NFL. Um, cool. Let's move on from kind of prospects and talk about trades. I think this mm. is it's a for me. It, it almost kind of dictates where only round one. I don't think round two and three matter as much, but round one um, it dictates where everything goes because I think if people are trading up for quarterbacks or if someone's trading two firsts for a certain left tackle, I think it can kind of change how the board goes. So. Um, give me a team that you think are likely to trade up or down, like very likely from what you've read or, or, or the kind of position they're in on the board on, on night one of the draft. 
the, the the one that's kind of stood out for me um, when you sent this kind of uh, this sheet over for today's pod, like one that stood out for me when you when I came across this trade sort of uh, subject that you wanted to approach was, I've thought ever since the Saints made that trade to get that second first round that they're, you know, in line to do bigger things, let's say. It reminded yeah. me straight away of what the Bills did to get Josh Allen. Yeah, true. I'm not going to say they're going to go up and get a quarterback, but you've got a couple of teams with a couple of first-rounders, one who I think wants to trade up in the Saints and one who I think quite publicly has said that they want to trade down in the Giants. So and if you're thinking the Saints might want to get ahead of the Falcons for a quarterback potentially, then you know those two picks maybe going to the Giants and the Saints moving up to seven could seem pretty reasonable. I also don't think that the Panthers will stay at six either. I think they've you know got a tendency to move down, and yeah. they could do that with really easily. I know that a lot of people are pegging Kenny Pickett to them at six. And that's incredibly rich for me. Um, I'm no doubt that they'll you know want a quarterback because they need to win, and you know Matt Rule is gone if not, and they don't have a lot of power to win, which is kind of a crap situation to be in for them. But um, you know, Baker Mayfield's available for trade. Maybe he could go there and, and he sounds out Carolina. So, yeah, they might, you know, trade down, get a couple more picks, still get Charles Cross or someone else like that, you know, in the, in the you know, 10 to 13 range, something like that. And um, they, you know, can then buff out their team and trade for Baker Mayfield and have a better run at it than just picking Kenny Pickett and having no second and third round pick and no other talent around it. So, yeah, there's a couple for you, I think. Yeah, the, the Kenny Pickett pick would just be demoralizing for them I, i'm probably going to mock it if i do no trades in my mock draft just because of the whole matt rule temple thing they mm. the owner there's a lot of connections isn't there yeah yeah the owner contributes to pit doesn't he and was there when they recruited him as well but yeah, yeah. but i agree he shouldn't go there he shouldn't go in the first 60 picks for me that's my no, bias. I, I that, completely that, agree. that's my picket bias but no i agree i think they want to trade down i don't think they've got a pick to like 100 and maybe 37 or 57 somewhere in that mark so um, yeah no second or third yeah that's right yeah, because they they wanted five games of Stefan Gilmore and um, and Sam Darnold. But yeah, I think mm. they're a prime candidate. Uh, the Texans as well, for me, another one. I don't think they will trade pick three. I think they probably want to get one player at pick three who's elite, unless someone does yeah. want to trade up for a tackle maybe and they could drop back four or five spots they might. But all the kind of rumours you're hearing is that they want to trade that 13th pick. Um, and that makes sense because he comes, the GM comes from that Patriots style. Mm. Uh, he's never, I don't think when he was a GM, he hasn't had a more than one first round pick or more than one second round pick. He's always traded back. Um, so yeah, I think that's another one. And that could be, to be honest, that could even be my team that comes up to 13 to pick a wide receiver. It could be the Packers that come up to pick a wide receiver. Um, so yeah. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't there, um, wasn't there, I can't remember who it was or whether it was someone within the organisation or outside, but didn't the, wasn't there something coming out of the Chiefs over the past like few hours that the Chiefs might not have a first round grade on anyone who's going to be there at twenty nine or thirty? So yeah, they have could go one of both ways, couldn't it? Yeah, they have eighteen players that they give a first round grade to oh, okay. for, the, for the whole class. Uh, and then he laughed and he said, "But there's probably going to be some quarterbacks that go before our pick as well, which helps." So I found that funny. Right. It was like he was like, "We don't grade any quarterbacks as round one, <laughs> but we know they're going to go." So I thought that was a good little snide mark against the quarterbacks. But yeah, no. They're basically saying that it would take a big fall because you're talking what eleven picks there. So like mm. eleven players have to get picked in the Chiefs' opinion that are not first round picks in the first round. Obviously, that could happen, but because there could be positional groups that they don't value or whatever. Sure. But yeah. but yeah, no, I think they're the same as Green Bay. To be honest, that there's a chance Green Bay are a little bit better off because they pick at twenty two. But if Jameson Williams or someone's there that they really want, and the Texans aren't asking for loads because I don't think you can ask for as much this year because of the lack of quarterback talent. Um, 
So it wouldn't surprise me if they did that. And then today we've heard rumours of Seattle. They've got pick 40 and 41. Mm. Uh, and there's rumours that they could be wanting to come back into the first round for a quarterback. Do you think that's realistic at all for someone like Pete Carroll? He's kind of quite old, isn't he, to sit in for a rebuild? <laughs> the thing is, there's a couple of ways that I see Seattle. Um, I think for them, nine is too rich to take a quarterback because they need good players. Yeah. And like I think we mentioned, obviously, Stingley. I think Stingley would be perfect there if he gets that far. Um, they could do that. They could you know, package 40 and 41 up and they could move into the late first and you know, get their fifth round option, things like that. Fifth year option, sorry, for whoever that person might be. Or they could probably sit pretty at 40-41 and get one of the quarterbacks who are kind of in that second-tier group, you know, Sam Howell, Matt, Matt Corral, something like that. And, you know, if they're happy to roll with that guy, maybe develop him for a year behind Gino and, and Drew Locke, then then they could go with that. So it depends on kind of how they value these guys and, you know, who goes kind of before them. Because if, you know, if they the ever run on quarterbacks through trades or people just losing their minds and picking them really early then you know they might need to either trade up to get that guy or they might just think, ah, well, we'll see what happens. We'll let the draft come to us. And if someone's there like Sam Howell at 40, then we'll, we'll pull the trigger. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Settle a bit weird, aren't they? Because they're really, really difficult to predict in terms of their draft because they kind of do their own thing. Yeah, always. They always do their own thing. And they've got massive needs at three of the most vital positions that are quite high in this draft, with uh, yeah. or weak in this draft, with quarterback, left tackle, right tackle. So they could... They could get a tackle because they've let both of them walk so far in quite easily at nine if someone falls. But then again, you still need another tackle and you need a quarterback. So, mm. yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do with those. If they traded 40 and 41, I think whoever gets that, whether it be, I don't know, probably someone from the range of Arizona at 23 all the way through to Cincinnati at 31. I think if you manage to get two seconds and you, you know, for, for, for your first in this draft, I think that's good because for me, the pool of players from like pick 20 to pick maybe 50, 55, I think they're going to be relatively close together, or at least on my board, they're relatively close together. Yeah, I would, I would even go a, a small step further than that. I would go far, so far to say that if you're trying to pick up um, you know, a couple of second round picks, I maybe even go so far to say day two picks for a late first. I think that's great business because day two is where people win the draft. You know, if that's yeah. where you get those falls, especially, you know, where you people, you know, sit there after Thursday night on Friday morning or something like that, and they say, how is this person still on the board? You know, if you're sitting there in the early second, then you can go and get that guy. Almost in some people's minds, it feels like an extra first-round pick because some people are really surprised that, that person's not been taken, if you yeah. see what I mean. And I do think there's a lot of talent that goes in the second round, you know, as you're watching on the Friday and you're thinking, God, how, how are they, you know, when you start to see the groups of people that have gone, groups of players that have gone to a certain team, thinking, God, how are these putting together this haul? Because it's going to be yeah. fantastic if they can hit a few on day three as well. And that's where, you know, you, like I say, where you win the draft, in my opinion. It's the, it's the best day, Friday. Yeah, because there's always four or five players that we're all mocking, or maybe three, that none of us are mocking in the first round that will go in the first round. Yeah. And that just causes everyone to, to fall on. And there's what? I think there's eight teams with two picks as well in round one. So if one of those teams can trade one of theirs back, or I don't know, teams like Green Bay, Kansas City, Detroit want to trade up with one pick, but then they could trade back with another pick. Mm. There's just options. So, uh, but yeah, I do think there's going to be some trades. I just think it's going to be late first round pick trades for me. I can't see just because of the lack of QB talent. I don't think there's going to be many. I think, like you said, the Saints are one. And I think Pittsburgh, if they want to gamble on Willis and go heavy on him, there's another. Uh, I have actually heard the Chargers, obviously, as well. Do they want to just go even more in and trade up to like top 10 to pick <laughs> uh, Charles Cross but uh, I don't know enough about your GM to know if he's the type of person that would want to move up in the draft whereas I know like my GM would love to trade up in the yeah, draft sure. but I don't know enough about the Chargers GM No he's, he's pretty conservative really I mean when we <laughs> traded up uh, a couple of years ago to get Kenneth Murray 
in the first. That was a, a massive shock. Um, he doesn't do a great deal of trading, although um, obviously Brandon Staley's come in and you know we traded for Kirill Mack and maybe there's been a bit of a shift change in their mentality and things like that. So I, I think it's um, you know maybe like I said, a change in mentality. I don't know if we'll trade up to the top ten because of the match trade. We obviously don't have that second round pick, so yeah, it'd be true. a massive um, wait till the sort of middle or the third, and also what assets are we going to give up to move up to do that? You know, is it going to be next year's first and things like that? And you know, as much as we are in a win now window, we don't have to do it all this year. You know, we do have a couple of years left in which to kind of really make a, a charge at that. Yeah, next year's draft is quite good as well. So even mm. if you don't want a quarterback, which also you don't, if you've got a pick that ends up being in the top. Any pick anywhere, to be honest, in the first round, you could trade that next year and get an absolute haul for it. So uh, I think, yeah, it'd be clever to wait. Uh, final note on trades: I do think there's a massive chance Philadelphia will move. I just don't see them in this year's class wanting to pick twice in four picks. I just, for me, I just yeah. think they're so clever, and their GM is a little bit too clever and loves to do the whole trade back, hoard picks thing that um, even people like me, I guess, anyone who likes analytics would always say that's a clever way to do it. I just think they're so into it that for me the thought of them picking twice, especially when they've got great relationships with, um, to be honest, they've got pretty good relationships with Buffalo, the, the assistant GM used to work in Philly, obviously Andy mm. Reid and all the chief staff used to work in Philly. So I just think there's a lot of teams back that could trade them another first or second next year. And if you've got, I think they would have like three firsts and potentially three seconds um, if they traded back this year and next year they could do whatever they want next year can't they if they have three mm. first three seconds they can get a quarterback and another player they can trade up to number one and get whoever they want the most so I just think Philly for me are another team to watch out for yeah no, they're in the same boat as the Saints almost aren't they um, with those two picks that are spaced out exactly the same as you say so yeah no definitely another candidate uh, cool let's move on from trades then and go on to round two and three so we've spoken a lot on this pod about first round marks top players in each position um, but once to get your view, really, um, what sort of round two, three, or even four uh, sort of picks do you think that can end up starting becoming very good NFL players? Who are like your favourites in that kind of area of the draft? Ooh, okay, that's a quite open question, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. Just to touch on a couple of areas that we've we've kind of touched on both today, really. I mean, I think there's quite a lot of offensive linemen, both interior and tackles, who who could be really, really good. There's quite a few secondary players as well that I would I would throw in that bucket as well. So do you just want me to like rattle off a few names or? Yeah, so I'm I'll give you one to start with. Nick Cross from Maryland is someone that I'm really high on safety. I mm. think he was like ranked 58, I think, on my board. But uh, I think he could come in and start a safety if you've already got one good safety, and he's going to be incredible. Um, he is. He can blitz him. I think he's got four three speed. Um, mm. Hell of a tackler as well. So he's like someone for me. So yeah, is there any names? that you like in that sort of area that you want to rattle off for anyone who doesn't follow the draft as closely? Yeah, no, I'd, firstly, I'd, I'd agree with Cross. I would agree with that kind of assessment of him as well. He kind of reminds me of another Maryland safety who I was really high on a couple of years ago, which is Darnell Savage, who's a packer. Yeah. Um, same school, same sort of play style, same position. So, yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so on the offensive line, a couple that I've not mentioned so far today. Um, a player that I was really high on from the get-go this season, Darian Kennard from Kentucky. Um, I think he's going to be a guard. He played right tackle for Kentucky, but he's going to be a guard. And he's just going to be one of the mean, nasty, run-blocking guards that everyone kind of falls in love with a little yeah. bit. Um, and I really like Sean Ryan as well from UCLA. Um, again, he played tackle for UCLA, but another guard, same sort of mould, a bit more of a pass blocker than Kennard. But um, those two offensive linemen, I would say, day two, um, oh, round two, sorry, um, excuse me. But I think those two guys will, will be kind of um, really good players, especially... 
um, right from the get-go. I don't think you've got to kind of develop those two guys. I think they're ready to go day one, although, you know, they do have the ceiling as well. Um, everyone's favourite interior defensive lineman, not named Jordan Davis, Travis Jones from UConn. Yeah, I um, love Travis Jones. <laughs> just a great player. Um, obviously, didn't get the love because he doesn't play for a good team at all. Um, but, you know, when you're kind of digging through these kind of... Uh, One's late in your process and you come across them, you know, thinking, wow, this guy really makes me sit up with his, uh, you know, pass rush ability and just his body type and things like that, that he um, really can hang his hat on in the NFL. And once he gets some more talent around him, he's just going to be an absolute monster, I think, you know. Um, and again, someone that, you know, if we had a second round pick as a Chargers fan, I'd be all over. But, you know, he's going to be way off the board by the time our third round pick comes around. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think I read yesterday that, sort of uh, draft that had him going like pick 41 so or 42 mm. so that's about so, right i think yeah so i think he'd be long gone before even we pick in the second round he's, he's a good player uh have you heard much of uh, this is a very random one uh jason poe guard out of mercer have you seen this guy he plays fullback and guard um <laughs> no, I is, not oh my guy. god you need to watch his tape so he's 300 i think he weighed in at 304 pounds but he's only six foot one okay. so he's quite wow, small like a cube. Yeah. Yeah, he plays guard, so his measurables are terrible for guard. But then mm. I realised uh, he's famous because they play him at fullbacks, but they don't play him like just a blocking fullback. They play him like trying to think, like a, almost like a use check. <laughs> like he catches the ball out of the backfield and like goes like 15 yards and like no one can tackle him. So yeah, watch Jason Poe's tape because there's rumours that apparently okay. team, teams are going to draft him as a fullback and then someone who can come in as like a pinch a guard or maybe like a field goal unit as like a special teamer. Um, but yeah, he's funny. Yeah, he, he's a very unique player. I've never seen anyone look so... He looks smaller than six foot one as well it's, when you watch him play. Because... When I think the heaviest fullback is Pat Ricard, isn't it? Who Baltimore, whether he's still there, I don't know, but I know he did play for Baltimore. I think he's 270. So yeah, he's, he's can, still there as well, yeah. If that guy can like you know lose a few pounds, maybe he's only in that mold. So yeah, you know, I can see it. Yeah, watch the tape, honestly, at some point. It's, it's very fun. Um, another player I wanted to mention, um, to be honest, especially with your um, draft guide edge class, is what are your thoughts mm. on Pascal out of Kentucky? Because uh, I'm high on him, but I wanted to get uh, your view because I'm a bit biased just to, after watching him so early. I've just fell in love with him, I think. Oh, really? Okay. So I I don't know. I think he's a little bit overrated. I've got a third on him, if I remember correctly. Um, do you think he's interior, though, or more? I do edge? think he has that flexibility. I mean, I graded him as an edge, but I do, you know, obviously he's lining up a lot in a in an odd front as like a four eye so I think he's definitely got that flexibility to play inside he's really powerful he's quite linear I think though so I don't know if he's going to be a great edge player um you know at the next level but I do like him as a player don't get me wrong but I'm just not in love with him like I don't see anything like a really elite trait that I can really hang my hat on but yeah. you know I think he'll be a fine player he kind of reminds me of another guy who I am actually really high on who I do think can be um, the same sort of mould, but more flexible. That's Cam Thomas out of uh, San Diego State, who yeah. I'm actually really high on. I've got a second round grade on him. I think Cam Thomas played a lot inside as well, but I think he's got the flexibility to be able to actually be a bit of a problem off the edge as well. So kind of in the same sort of mould, but I do think that um, Pascal is a kind of tick behind him, especially you know my grade and things like that. Yeah, I think he showed up light as well to the combine, Thomas, yeah, for, an yeah. interior, for an interior rusher especially. So I think he'll probably go to edge. I think he played most of the snaps on the interior as well, didn't he, at San Diego State? Is that he right? did, and he's, he's, got a, um, he's got a really, really, really high win rush, uh, pass rush, pass, uh, can't get my words out, pass rush win rate, sorry. Yeah. Um, both on the interior and on the outside as well. So a guy who, who knows how to get the job done. Yeah, Nick Benito from Oklahoma has got an incredible pass rush in right as he well. Has, um, yeah. <laughs> opposite size with his 246 <laughs> yeah. pounds, but someone's <laughs> going to get him and just rush him on third down only. And he's going to be very good, but I'm not sure he'll ever be able to play three downs, to be honest. 
He he is a really good coverage linebacker as well, so I wouldn't be surprised if someone sort of said that he can kind of on you know some downs he can play as like an actual linebacker off the ball, and yeah. then you can rush and he can kind of have that flexibility a little bit. I'm not going to put him in the same bracket, of course, but almost like a Micah Parsons kind of situation where he can do a bit of both. But yeah, like I say, he's going to be a, a, a designated rusher to begin with, and he's really quite good in coverage as well. So he got like a bit of a unique skill set in that sense. But yeah, he's a player I like. Yeah, teams like the Eagles and Denver, uh, they often rush one edge rusher and then or a linebacker, and then the next play he'll drop back into coverage. So if you've got someone mm. that can do both, I think that does make sense. Uh, another one I'm relatively high on, only got, I think, a fourth, oh, maybe a fi- early fifth-round grade, but he just intrigues me. He's just a bit of an older prospect. Uh, Michael Clemens out of Texas A&M. I think he's going to be 25 when the season starts, yes. which is why yes. his... Why is Clark? Why he's not going to be? Uh, he's not going to be drafted highly. It doesn't happen. But uh, I think he's six foot seven, two hundred and sixty-three pounds, uh, and his bull rush uh, for me was pretty impressive um, for someone of that level. So if you get him in the fifth round for me, uh, and you've already got a good edge rusher or three, and you can just use him in kind of certain scenarios, maybe third, fourth down, uh, I think he could help. And he's quite good against the run just because of his size for me. So I think Michael Clemens for me is someone that he's going to be better than most fifth round edges if he goes that far. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you there. I've got, I'm really low on him. I just, I remember watching him. He's one of the earliest players that I did because he's so advanced in age. Um, obviously, he had to come out. He was exhausted eligibility and all that sort of stuff. And I just yeah. remember just being a bit nonplussed with him. And just, yeah, I just wasn't too wild by much. Like you say, he's strong. He's got good measurables in terms of height and length and things like that. But yeah, I don't know. I wasn't too impressed. And he's got some legal trouble if I remember correctly as well in his past. So yeah, yeah red yeah, flag it's... as well as the age. Yeah, that's why I've seen him mocked in round seven a few times. Mm. But um, I just know a team like my team will end up picking him early because they don't, <laughs> they don't care about off-field. No, they don't care about anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, last one I wanted to ask you about then from the edge rusher class, whilst we're talking about it, what's your opinion on my G Sanders? Uh, I've had three different people on throughout the year that have had three different varying opinions of him. So I want to oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, he has the bad opinion a little bit. I think he's on-field player. I think, yeah, it, again, just left a little bit to be desired for me. You know, he... Really highly touted, obviously playing in a good team. Cincinnati have been good for a couple of years now. And I always just watched you know, a live game or when I was watching my film for the draft guide and just kind of digging into people. Yeah, I just always wanted a little bit more. Um, he's got some some good traits. You know, he's obviously a skinny edge rusher, which we've got a lot of. Obviously, we touched on Benito and I think there's a few of those. Um, D'Angelo Malone is one that sticks out in my mind as being one of these kind of skinny kind of bendy edge rushers but yeah I don't know obviously he turned up at the combine super super light as well didn't he I read somewhere that he was quite unwell before the combine in the lead up and he lost loads of weight so just hope you know for his sake he can kind of put that back on and he can kind of make something of his career because at the minute I think he weighed in at what 221 he was kind of like a wide receiver so um, yeah. Unless he's, you know, having some sort of under the radar position change, I don't know. But yeah, no. First and foremost, just hope he can kind of get back to his playing weight and and see what he can kind of do in the league and training camp or wherever he lands and things like that. But he's got some intriguing skills. I do think, yeah, he's got some speed. He's got some first step. He's decent hand usage, and um, yeah, he can he can sort of flatten the arc a little bit. But um, yeah, I wasn't too wowed by him if I'm going to be honest. But you know, just yeah. kind of rooting for him to kind of you know, like I say, put some weight on and <laughs> give himself a chance really. Yeah, I'd worry about him against the run if he ever has to uh, defend the run. But then yeah. he came in at 2-2-1 in the combine. But um, at his pro day, I think he did get back up to 240, so not quite 2-4. Oh, they man, said, I missed that. Yeah, they said he played at 2-4-9, which I don't believe. But um, <laughs> I think he got to 240 dead on pretty much at the at his pro day. But my worry for him, which is why I mentioned it, was uh, he had pretty bad testing at the combine. Obviously, he had stomach illness, which is why he lost that weight, which is fair yeah. enough. But then at the combine, he didn't read that. Sorry, at the pro day, he didn't retest. So he obviously thought that the numbers he got at that weight, he's like, okay, I'm happy with that. And I think mm. if you're happy with 
your testing, your testing was already like bottom 40 percentile in, in a lot of things. I just think that's a bit of a worry for me. So, uh, yeah, I just say that because I know Dane Brugler mentioned that uh, he could go late third round and I just don't agree with that at all. But, um, yeah, we'll no. see. Uh, good defence and I just think maybe that will carry his weight a bit. But, yeah, not many people are going to want to draft someone with that, with his potential weight issues if they are as low as that. But, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, any other players you want to touch on or are you happy there? I know that. Let's keep this ring rolling. Cool. Um, let's move on to, I guess, the final main question then. Uh, we do this with everyone. We did this with Josh when he came on for the Browns um, mm. with the free agency stuff. So I w- want to ask you, we, we've had a Raiders fan, Broncos fan. Obviously, I'm a Chiefs fan. So we've had most AFC <laughs> West on throughout the two years we've been doing this. So you're the last representative. Uh, what are you going to do at pick 17? What do you, Or I guess, what do you want to do and what do you think they actually will do at pick 17? Hmm, it's been it's really interesting. Well, I've been on like a bit of a journey. Um, I think a lot of Chargers fans have been on the same sort of journey in terms of like who we've wanted and, and things like that. Because it's, you know, from the season finishing, obviously we know how horrendous the run defence was. So it was kind of like John yeah. Davis or Boss sort of thing. <laughs> um, obviously we did a lot in terms of free agency, in terms of filling those needs. So I don't think that's like a huge need anymore. So I'm not, I've kind of gone away from John Davis or any kind of interior defensive lineman, you know, with Sebastian Jones Day, Austin yeah. Johnson coming in. I don't think it's, necessary and then it was kind of like you know do we need a wide receiver you know because we've got Allen, we've got williams we've got josh palmer shall we just give justin herbert another weapon and we've got two guys who are kind of out of contract at the same time as well in the top two guys so do we need to kind of start putting together a you know a tag of second wave almost with with josh palmer and then it's kind of flipped back to everyone kind of worrying about the offensive line again after you know as you mentioned before we got Rashawn Slater. Hopefully, we were thinking about our offensive line needs being kind of a thing of the past, and we're kind of happy. But Chargers fans are never happy with offensive lines, and we've kind <laughs> of been hoping and waiting for a right tackle to come in the whole of free agency, but it's just not happened. So I think the, the the school of thought that a lot of us are on now, and I'm I'm one of these people, is let's maybe flip Matt Filer over to right tackle and let's bring in Zion Johnson and play him at left guard. I think he fits the athletic profile that we kind of look for, and I think he's a kind of day one ready-made starter at that position and him and Slater next to each other with Corey Lindsay just solidifies the left side in an immense way. I just think that'll be an amazing sort of line. And Matt Filer, um, you know, he's been serviceable at right tackle in Pittsburgh. And, you know, hopefully then we bring back Ode Ibushi and he was great last year before his injury. So you're then looking at a complete offensive line with the weapons that we've got and the quarterback that we've got. And you're thinking, well, the offense will be cooking again. So that's the kind of way that we're thinking. Um, the, in terms of that's what I would do, but in terms of what the team would do, the team really... <laughs> held their cards close to the chest. You know, Staley's always talking about corners. Whether we go ahead and take, you know, Andrew Booth or something like that is, is, is you know, anyone's guess, really. So it's, it's really difficult to kind of guess what the actual front office will do. I think we're in a nice position that we're not kind of backed into a corner any which way, whereas the past couple of years, we had to take a quarterback at six and we had to take an offensive lineman in the first round last year as well. And, you know, we've hit the jackpot on both of those seemingly. So, yeah, what they'll, what they'll do, I don't know. But, you know, if, if they can get one of the top three tackles, then that would be an absolute home run. I think they'd take that um, and, you know, keep Matt Filer at left guard. But, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, hopefully offensive line is going to be the, the way to go in, in one way or another, I would say. Yeah, I listened to two guest mock drafts where they got, like, beat reporters to pick for each team, basically. Yeah. And uh, both charges beat reporters. One of them works for Athletic. I can't remember who the other one works for. Daniel Popper, probably, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they both said that, actually, that they think Filer will go to right tackle because that's where he played in his last year at Pittsburgh as well, I think. That's right, um, yeah. When, when you signed him, so... Uh, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, as a Chiefs fan who doesn't want the Chargers to do well, I don't want you to pick a receiver. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> you want them. Yeah, and just because I'm a 
kind of the offense first. You know, what I mean, I just think it's so valuable now to have weapons and uh, and also if you're paying two receivers, what twenty two million for one of them and twenty for the other, is it something like that? So mm-hmm. um, for me, I'd think Olave would just be a joke <laughs> if he was there, or Jamie and Jameson Williams. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think corner makes sense for Staley just because he the way he believes in how they should play and how good you've done on the line. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, nothing would shock me. Would it shock you if they traded back and got a, a late, late it, second? It wouldn't, not with the, the lack of a second round. And like I said, I think just going back to something you raised earlier on, I think they are very analytically driven now. So I think the the, the thing that you were referring to is in you know, getting those second day picks. I think they would be on board with that if, if they could. And, and, you know, trading back a touch just to be able to maybe still get Zion Johnson or someone of that ilk, but, you know, recover that second round pick again. Or pick up some future assets. So yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be um, shocked at all if on Thursday they do not pick or they trade back a little bit. Yeah, Kenyon Green's another one, isn't he, that could play guard. Not as good for Zion on my board, but still could start a guard. I think, not not time. as not as good, not as high on my board, but not also not really the sort of athletic profile that the Chargers would get. So I think Zion's more of a fit for them particularly. Yeah. But yeah, he's still a good still a good player. Kenyon's more of a uh, Baltimore Ravens style offense player. Absolutely. Than, than, than <laughs> yeah, the absolutely. Yeah, nice. Uh, all I can say is the two mocks I've seen with the Chiefs trade to 17 to pick Williams is laughable because the Chargers <laughs> Chiefs, that, are, they're not doing a trade together. But yeah, cool. <laughs> no. uh, perfect. Well, that's all the, the kind of questions we have, mate. So thanks for, awesome. uh, for coming on. Do you want to give a final plug for, I know you've got a, I don't know if it's one or two uh, podcasts coming out before the draft, but you guys are recording tomorrow as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. We are recording tomorrow, so that will be out probably out late on Monday, but you'll probably hear it on Tuesday. It'll probably be when everyone's kind of gone to bed, well, the vast majority of people. But, you know, you can find me over at full10yards.com. Um, my personal Twitter handle is at Wakefield90 if you want to give me a follow. Um, and the Full 10 Yards Twitter handle is, um, well, Full 10 Yards College is at Full10YardsCFB. Uh, we've got, like I said before, a whole host of passionate and knowledgeable writers over there. And, yeah, like we said before, we've kind of mentioned it a couple of times, but, yeah, plug and buy our draft guide as well. So go over to fullthinghouse.com, go into the guide section at the top and pay £5 and prosper. Um, and just, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's going to be good for sitting there on draft night, kind of reading up on the players and getting our opinions on them, but also after the draft, you know, when you've got your haul. So yeah, it'll be on sale uh, for £5. And like I said before, the uh, proceeds or part of them go into the grassroots game in the UK. So great calls as well. Perfect. And tomorrow's podcast will be defensive prospects. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, we did a bit of an offensive roundtable last week. Just kind of, you know, discuss our big board, discuss like players, and kind of well, pretty much hit most positions. I would say we spent quite a lot of time in the quarterbacks and offensive line in particular. But you know, we talked a lot about offensive players, and yeah, we're doing the same sort of thing for for defense tomorrow. Nice. Yeah, go listen, guys. Last week's episode was was, was really good. Uh, I've got my mock draft coming out, I think, on Tuesday uh, at the full 10 yards as well, full 10 yards.com. Um, and that's also going to be submitted to the huddle report as well, where it gets graded against all these American mock drafters awesome. that I'm hoping to beat. But we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, <laughs> we shall see. But yeah, go follow us as well on Twitter at go for two pod, two being the number two. Uh, me and Patrick are going to record on Wednesday where we do our final mock draft and we're allowed to include trades in that one. Um, and then after the draft, we're going to have a couple of guys over to come and review the picks. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks again, Lee, for coming on, and uh, we'll speak to you soon, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Liam, and uh, yeah, I'll speak to you again soon.